With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, again, if you'll turn your uh, scripture to uh, John chapter 12, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 again. As we look at Jesus and his smelly feet, uh, I kind of thought maybe some of you might get a little tickle out of that uh, sermon uh, title there. Uh, but that's part of what we we're going to look at this morning, that uh, that Jesus did indeed have smelly feet. He was a human being just like you and I. And, uh, and to reflect on that uh, causes us to reflect on his humanity uh, and exactly what he went through and what he endured. I think oftentimes we think a lot about the divinity of Jesus and how much he did, the miracles, the healings, the, what he did on the cross. But we forget a lot of times that he was indeed human and everything he did endure um, is is what he experienced as a human being, just as if we would be have to experience it as well. When I was working with uh, youth and children in Nashville, uh, North Carolina, they always clarify that and say Nashville, everybody just takes Tennessee. But um, when I was working with youth and children there, we had an overnight retreat at a local YMCA. You could actually rent out the entire YMCA. You might can do it here. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, we rented out the entire YMCA, and we had our youth come, and we had a lock-in there. And so we had access to all of their equipment and basketball and pool and everything. And it was a lot of fun. But uh, as we did with most every lock-in, we put the guys in one room and the girls in one room. And, of course, I was with the guys. And um, I won't even begin to talk about the different smells that came out of that room. But... Um, <laughs> You can imagine with a bunch of about 25 middle school and high school guys. Yeah, there are a lot of different aromas brewing around. But I had to sleep beside Chris. He was one of our high schoolers who was up in, up in years. And we had been playing basketball earlier that night. And so most, just like most of us, we didn't really take a lot of showers, just jump into the sleeping bags and... And I don't know, maybe about 20 minutes or so after we had laid down and started kind of quieting down, his feet came out of the sleeping bag. And, oh, I just, it was awful. It just, I mean, it about made you gag. I mean, it was just horrible. And, and everybody started noticing him. Of course, everybody, some of the youth started talking about it, and, and it became this big ordeal. Well, Chris is a, a deep sleeper, so he wasn't going to wake up. And, and put his feet back in the sleeping bag. So uh, a couple of the youth came up with the idea to go and get the air freshener and spray his feet with air freshener so uh, that we could maybe have, uh, so counteract this. And hey, look, I was having to experience this as well, so I wasn't gonna stop it. I was gonna let it happen. So he went and got the, the, the air freshener, he came back and sprayed his feet and, and Chris did something he didn't normally do, he woke up. And I can just imagine what Chris must have been thinking when he woke up and looked down and two or three guys are spraying his feet with air freshener. I'm sure it was maybe a, maybe a nightmare that he woke up to. But, uh, but anyway, and of course it got a big laugh. But uh, this morning, something much more pleasant than air freshener was put on Jesus' feet. In our biblical text this morning, uh, the implications and the meaningfulness behind what Mary did 
um, was highly significant for us and I think very formative uh, in teaching. Uh, None of us know exactly what the feet of Jesus smelled like, but we know he was a human being just like you and I. And if he had been out walking around for a long period of time, remember this is before tennis shoes, so if he'd have been out walking a long period of time, maybe been sweating in that area of the, of the world, it's not very cool, it's very hot, uh, very humid, and so, or very, actually very dry and arid. But, um, but I'm sure he would have uh, possibly had moments in his life where his feet uh, were not the most pleasant. The act of Jesus' anointing at Bethany proves to communicate much about the proper response for us to Jesus, especially His public ministry as it nears the end here in John chapter 12. Through Mary's actions, we learn our proper placement, the proper perspective, and proper purpose in responding to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, chapter 11 has just detailed the plot to kill Jesus. The chief of priests has gathered, along with the Pharisees, has gathered along and they plotted with Judas. And Jesus was gathering with his disciples and close friends at Bethany for a dinner in his honor. Now, Jesus knew that within the next week he would be celebrated as the king in the triumphant entry. That comes right next after uh, these verses in chapter 12. And then only to be uh, arrested, betrayed, and then crucified, killed. It's within that context that Mary approaches Jesus and anoints him. But what does the action really mean? First of all, through Mary's action, we learn the proper placement, our proper placement when it comes to Jesus. The military salutes, uh, athletes high-five, performers, they get a standing ovation at the end. All of those actions communicate some form of respect, some form of, uh, of position, they show your place. You have a, on, on, the, on the playing field, you have a winning team and a losing team, and they come together and shake at the end. Well, there was a, a scene in a movie, A Beautiful Mind. I'm not sure if you watched that with Russell Crowe. It was about John Forbes Nash. He was a Nobel Prize winner in economics and mathematics. And there was a scene towards the end of that movie where the professors walk up and they place their pens there at the table where he was sitting. And this is something that he had noticed through his time there uh, at the school. And, and here he was being honored in this way. It was a way for them to honor someone, for them to acknowledge that that, that individual had reached some level of accomplishment. The gesture was a tribute to the brilliance of Nash that he had exhibited The gesture communicated that everyone realized his intelligence and his contribution. In effect, effect, Nash was being placed in high esteem by the gesture made by the entire faculty. So by doing this, they were placing him on some level, just like we would do on other occasions. What Mary does in anointing Jesus communicates his placement in God's plan and our placement as well. 
Verse 3 says that Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. It says she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. And then the, the, the house was filled with a fragrance of perfume. First of all, the fact that she uses a pint of pure nard is significant. We learn later in verse 5 that this quantity and this quality was worth about a year's wages. Now that's a lot. Can you imagine taking your entire year's wages and putting it into a perfume and then using that to wash someone's feet? The entire bottle. This was the good stuff. It was not cheapened. It was not watered down. The quantity and the quality and the purity indicates that Mary's actions were very costly. There came a cost for what she was doing. And she wasn't one bit concerned. Jesus deserves our very best and nothing short of it. He deserves our pure devotion. I think I heard Melanie say, uh, kind of overheard her say this morning, that we can be the church outside of being here being in the church. And that is such an important concept for us to reflect on. Because that's what we are. When we walk outside of these doors and we, exp- and we represent Jesus Christ, others see us, and if we claim to be a Christian and they happen to know it, they are watching us. What are we communicating? Are we communicating that He deserves our very best, that He is the, the priority of our lives and in our lives? Well, well next in the story, when we see the fact that the feet of Jesus it's themselves carry with it meaning, and it puts the biblical story in the proper context. You see, pouring and anointing of the head was very common. In fact, other texts and in the Gospels point out that Jesus was anointed head to toe. In Mark's Gospel, the anointing of the head was understood as a recognition of Jesus' royal place as Messiah and King of Kings. That's what kings would have their heads anointed with oil once they became king. Some translate the account here in John that Mary anointing his entire body, including his feet. But if we, if we just rush really quickly over that passage and don't look at the fact that John points out that, he, that she focused on the feet, I think we miss some of the most critical points here. It's most unusual to mention the feet. It seems to indicate the lowly place that Jesus would take as a servant to all of humanity and then the place that we should take as servants. Later, Jesus himself washes the disciples' feet, so he, in turn, gives us an action and shows us and demonstrates to us the significance of the feet. Now, I've said it several times, the feet is significant. Well, why? Well, to attend to the feet was the task of the lowliest slave or servant. In other words, there were slaves and servants that would wash the feet of, of especially royalty or those that were very, had, had money, very, the wealthy people. They wouldn't say they could afford all those kinds of slaves and servants. And it was the, the most lowly of servant who would be attending to the feet, that would be washing the feet. Because again, remember, they don't have tennis shoes. They don't, have, they don't even really have the kind of sandals we have today. 
they had whatever they could. A lot of times they just went barefoot. So feet were, you think feet are dirty and nasty today. Imagine walking around an entire day with nothing but bare feet. Again, you can imagine feet didn't stay clean. And so to be uh, someone who attended to this meant you were of lowly status. So Mary, likewise, is taking the most lowliest place. This is the proper placement of our devotion to God through serving humbly. We have to remain at the feet of Jesus Himself in order to devote ourselves entirely to His will and purpose. If we're ever going to do His will, we've got to know His will by being at the place at the feet of His of the cross. And if that wasn't enough to convince us, there comes the further illustration of Mary using her hair to wipe his feet, to show us again a place of humility that Mary takes. A respectable Jewish lady never unbound her hair in public. Mary did not stop, though, to calculate public reaction or popularity. She didn't decide whether or not it was going to be socially acceptable. Her heart went out to her Lord and she gave an expression of her devotion and feeling. What reaction are we willing to make on behalf of our devotion to the Lord? Do we acknowledge the proper place that we should take at His feet? in service to His will? What gesture of faithfulness will we use to communicate to the world our level of devotion to Jesus Christ? It's something that we should constantly ask ourselves. We find ourselves in this proper place and then everything then hinges on our proper perspective. We can never approach the place of the foot of the cross, if our perspective is off. And so we look at the proper perspective in our text this morning. Judas was a thief, and we are told so in verses 4 through 7. Listen to the word again. This is the real meat of the text this morning. It says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor or because he was a thief, or because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. To take a, a moment and look deeply here at Judas. Uh, reveals a lot about the reaction that Jesus gives to him. His perspective was not looking out for the poor, as he claims. Jesus calls him out and says, Your perspective is one of watching out for number one, for watching out for yourself. Several years ago, when the banking crisis began, one of the first things people began to do is to go to the banks and pull their money out. When 
Over in Greece, if you've been following uh, kind of what's been going on over there and how the financial crisis over there has been taking place, all of them, all of those, all the public, the people went to the banks and started pulling their money out. In fact, they had to put limits on how much people could withdraw just so that they could continue to function their economy. When, when humanity starts to see themselves being threatened, the first instinct is to look out for yourself, to not look around others and see how collectively we can get through this. It is to, to, to hoard all you can to get through, to make sure you and your family is safe. And we can't really expect much less when you're taking, after your, taking care of your family, all this, what we're told to do. But it shows us the instinct that we all have to look after ourselves, to make sure that we are taken care of. This is self-preservation, and it's that instinct that we have to start separating when it comes to our commitment to doing the will of Christ. As Christians, we cannot allow a self preservation kind of mentality to form within the church. When following Christ, it's all about the community. It's all about one another. It's all about someone else and rather than ourselves. Don't you remember the story that Jesus was telling one of His disciples in Matthew chapter 8, verse 22 to follow Him and let the dead bury their own. Do you remember that story when He told the disciple who asked Him, Hey, hey Lord, I, hey Jesus, I'll follow you, but let me bury my, my father. And He tells them it seems to be almost cold, almost insensitive to say. And we look at that story and sometimes we kind of move right on past it because it makes us a little uncomfortable. Because we don't want to see Jesus saying that our family is not important. But he never did say that. He said, let the dead bury their own. Come here. I'm where the life is. And that's the perspective we're supposed to have. We, we turn and leave uh, the things of this world aside and focus on the living. Focus on the hope of abundant life that's found in Jesus Christ. If we're going to take and carry people uh, to the cross of Christ... What is it that we're carrying them for? Do we truly believe that abundant life that He's promised us? If we know that in Jesus and in Christ comes abundant life, then that text doesn't bother us quite as much. The disciples had their own ideas of what a Messiah should be. I think a lot of times we get, again, so much, uh, we take so much um, anger or frustration out on Judas here for what he did. And, and then we, we think about stories like Peter and how he denied Christ. And then we think about uh, Thomas and doubting. We, we, we learn these Bible stories over and over and over, and those are the ones that we focus on. But it was all the disciples who dispersed, who, who ran away until Jesus resurrected. And it was because they all had their own idea of what Jesus was to be. And when he went to the cross, even though he told them time after time after time, 
that that was the plan. They, they never got it because they never listened fully to what he was trying to tell them. They were focused in on what kind of Messiah he was supposed to be for them when he wanted to be so much more. By conquering the grave and death, he brings about a perspective of abundant life for those who leave all that is dead behind. In Mary's actions, someone finally understood and honored his ordeal at a time when even the costliest disciple, closest disciple, seemed clueless under crisis. According to Jewish burial practice, a great quantity of spices would be used to cover even the feet. Mary recognized what Jesus was about to do in sacrificing his life. And so her actions acknowledge that she understands that he must go to the cross and that he must experience death. So at least she gets it here. She's a follower who understands, who sees what Jesus has been telling her She was connected with the proper perspective of God's will. She was not uh, teaming up with the disciples, focused on how they could take this money and use it for this purpose or for that purpose. Because she had the right perspective, she used it for exactly what it was intended to be used for. How often do we miss the perspective of God's will because we are looking out for ourselves? Or maybe we're even looking out for those that we think are important. God's will is where we should be focused. That is where our perspective should lie. How often do we miss the proper perspective of God's plan because we think we know best and we're unwilling to let go of control? If we acknowledge our proper place of of humble service and our proper perspective of God's will, then we can carry out and become a part of the proper purpose that God directs through Jesus Christ. In verse 8, Jesus tells them that you will always have the poor among you. In other words, you will always have another mission project to do. Even though we gave out some free hot dogs yesterday, there are still hungry people here in Mint Hill. There are still plenty of things to do. But Jesus points out, you will not always have this opportunity, this window to follow me. We have to get in sync with God's plan. That's why it's so important to have the right perspective. What he is saying ultimately through this text is that we should be struggling with that great sickness that exists in humankind that was dragging Jesus to his death. After all, that's what was taking place in just a few short days. Rather than trying to cover up some of the symptoms that may exist around. Several months ago... I went to the doctor with some congestion and and a cough, much like Jerry. Finally had to go get some medicine for his strep throat. And he gave me some cough medicine. And he said, this is going to help you sleep a little bit. And it might help the cough, but it's going to do nothing for the infection that you have in your, your chest. 
Now often, I believe this is how doctors practice medicines, which is why I think that's why they call it the practice of medicine, because it's never actually been uh, a doctor that I've known that's been able to solve every problem. And so they just kind of throw this at it, throw that at it, try this, try that, especially when you're dealing with something that's a little bit more suspicious. And so a lot of times that's all doctors do is just treat this symptom, treat that symptom, and they never uh, really take the time, maybe because of other reasons we won't get into today, but they never take the time to really investigate or do the, the tests that are necessary to find out exactly what's going on so they can heal the infection, heal the sickness. So what Jesus has pointed out throughout his ministry and, of course, his actions on the cross and in the grave is that humanity is sick. And we are in danger of decay and death that will leave us eternally separated from any healing of life. And his purpose all along was to treat the illness, not simply the symptoms. By sacrificing his life and conquering death and extending salvation to those who believe, he can accomplish that. And so it becomes our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ to carry the cure or the message of the hope through a relationship with Jesus Christ and an acceptance of His sacrifice and salvation to those who would believe, who would devote themselves to Him. So the question this morning is, Do we find ourselves in the proper place, at the foot of the cross, eager to obtain the proper perspective, to know exactly what the will of God is for our life, so that we can do the proper purpose He is calling us to do, to carry the message of everlasting life and the hope of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as we close that, that, Lord, we would desire to know more about your will for our lives, that it would become so clear that, Lord, attempting to follow any other perspective would be unavoidable, that, Lord, we would be compelled to take on the perspective of of Mary in your word this morning, a perspective that knows the will of God, who seeks the will of God, and who does the will of God. Lord, may we be devoted this morning. Maybe we've lost our way. Maybe we've, maybe we've gotten a little off, off kilter, off center. Maybe our relationship with Jesus is not where we want it to be. Maybe we're not finding ourselves at the proper place at the foot of the cross. Maybe we're not even humbling ourselves enough. Lord, I, I don't know where everyone is this morning. But Lord, I just pray that you would continue to compel us to know that at the foot of the cross, to know that in Jesus Christ, in a relationship with Him, Lord, is where we'll find the proper perspective that we need and, and then we'll refine what you're calling us to do your will, the purpose that you're placing upon each one of us. For Father, we want to be a people that that do your will and that see uh, your plan 
unveiled, and executed. For Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.